morning, friends. It's me, Dan Benjamin. It is noon here in the Central Time Zone, and it's December 29th, 2020. Just a couple days left. Uh, and then we'll be able to get rid of this year and start something fresh. You know, it's just a day, but it's pretty symbolic. Hi, Elwin. Good morning in the chat room. You can join the chat room. You can join me here uh, by going to youtube.com slash danbenjamin or following me on Twitter at danbenjamin and joining me on Periscope. Or if you're on Twitch, you know what? You can join on Twitch. I think we have like two Twitch followers right now, which is wonderful. Up from one. It's a big deal. Oh, and I wanted to give you an update on the LinkedIn thing. I really want to stream to LinkedIn. I don't know why I really want to stream to LinkedIn, but I really want to stream to LinkedIn. So in order to do that, <laughs> I thought it was that I needed 500 connections. Well, I have I was pretty close to 500 connections, and I put out a tweet, and I said, hey, I need like 70 more people, and I'll be at 500, and I'll be able to stream... And right away, I got a ton of people that was like, wow, I'm there. I'm at 500. And they're like, nope, it's actually a thousand that you need a thousand. But see, I do. If you've seen my show quit or heard my show quit, I should say, uh, then you probably know that I uh, I like helping people with their careers and things like that and uh, and help motivate them to make a change and start something awesome. You've heard me talk about that for years if you've listened to that show. However, uh and I thought LinkedIn, you know, I used to not like LinkedIn because I they they, they were sort of felt, I don't know, it kind of felt spammy. But you know what? They've changed a lot. They've come a long way. And uh, we used LinkedIn to hire people and it worked really well. And there's a lot of really creative, fun people who are spending their time on there. I've actually found that I kind of enjoy it. And I thought maybe that would be a good place for some of the discussions that I do about it. And uh, And so I'm trying to build up. So if you're on LinkedIn... And you want to help me get my content on there, video content. I need like 450 more <laughs> connections. So just connect with me, whoever you are, and I'll, I'll accept. Oh, hi, Alex. Hi, Mr. Sloot. Welcome to the chat room. Uh, you know, there isn't a lot of news this week. There really isn't. So uh, I, there's, I have a topic. I actually have a topic, something I want to talk about. But we'll get to that after I do the, after I do the news that is... Uh, is important for today because there's always a little something. So we'll just jump right in because I've got a, I've got a topic. I actually have a topic. Yeah, Andy. Yeah, then they'll tell me that uh, that it takes two thousand exactly right. Uh, so anyway, hopefully not. Um, I've seen this article in multiple places here, um, multiple places. Insecure Wheels. This is an NBC News article. Insecure Wheels. Police turn to car data to destroy suspects' alibis. Yeah, that's not the interesting part of the story. The interesting part of the story, and this is by Olivia Solon. That's your name, dude. Uh, basically, what they're talking about is that your vehicle, and not just your vehicle, but your, your in infotainment system in your vehicle records uh, things like destinations, like places you've gone. Now, the question I have about this, and I'd love it if someone can fact check me and ex expert me here. If you're not using the GPS system and you drive somewhere, so let's say I go to, to Target 
but I don't need to use a GPS to go to Target. You guys go to, go to Target all the time. Is it still note that like the vehicle stopped at this GPS location? I think it does. I think it does. I'm not sure, but I think it does. Even if you're not using, if you haven't like fully disabled the GPS, you're just not using it as your map system, you're using your phone. That's a question. I don't know. But it says records recent recent destinations, call logs, contact lists, text messages, emails, pictures, videos, web histories, voice commands, and social media feeds. It can also keep track of the phones that have been connected to the vehicle via USB cable or Bluetooth, as well as the apps installed on the device. Together, the data allows investigators to reconstruct a vehicle's journey and paint a picture of driver and passenger behavior. In a criminal case, the sequence of doors opening and seat belts being inserted could help show that a suspect had an accomplice. This is an example of what you can do. No. Um, together, the data allows investigators to reconstruct a vehicle's journey and paint a picture of driver and passenger behavior. In a criminal case, the sequence of doors opening. Okay, so that's. Did I just read that twice? Not for why you can, monkey boy. <laughs> this is my day to day. Um. Here's a, here's a quote from uh, Sam. Uh, Le- no, I'm sorry, not Sam. <laughs> it's gonna be one of those one of those days. Um, Good one. From uh, Lam Nguyen. What's your name, dude? I'm sure everyone is aware of how much forensic data is on the phone. This is Lam, who is the director of Defense Cybercrime Center, a federal forensic laboratory and training center. What people don't realize is a lot of it is being transmitted to a car just because you register the phone with the car. And it says that the security, they describe the security of your car infotainment system as being much flimsier, (laughs) much flimsier. (laughs) Uh, If you've committed some heinous crime and we can't get into your phone, we can get peripheral data that's been synced to your car. The contact list, calls made, text messages. In almost any criminal investigation, communication with the victim or co-conspirators is hugely important. And now they know all of that stuff. How do you feel about that? Does that uh, no, I need to is that sleep. something that you like? Is this is this good? Is this something that you're happy that your car knows? Can you turn all this stuff off? I don't know. Uh, yeah. So there's your latest privacy concern. I'm I'm here. I am here to tell y'all about privacy stuff when I find it because I don't have a lot to hide. A little bit. Everyone should have a little bit to hide to keep your life interesting, right? Just a little bit. Just hide a little. Maybe you, uh, maybe you, you bite your nails and you don't want anyone to know about it. But you know that's private. That's your business. You hide a couple little things to keep it interesting. Uh, but uh, like, do you want your car to remember like where you went every single time that you went somewhere? What if that could be hacked somehow and like uh, some creep could say, well, now I know where you go and when you're not at home and I'm going to rob you when you're not at home or I'm going to, I don't know. Like I told you in college, I had my car stolen because they knew Did I tell this. Have I told this story? <laughs> well, it's not, don't laugh. It's not funny. Uh, when I was in college, I was selling my uh, Honda Civic wagon again. Let's say, let me say that again. Honda Civic wagon. Not just a Honda Civic, but a wagon. That's how cool I was. And I wanted to sell it. And I was, uh, I, I had put it in, you know, like CarMax in the paper, uh, CarMax to try and sell the thing. And so I had these guys come by uh, to look at it. There was a whole bunch of people that came by. Mm. 
And one guy in particular had his mechanic with him and he said, oh, you know, it's, it's we just want to you know, take a look at it. And if it's good, you know, then maybe we'll, we'll do something about it. I said, all right. And he and his mechanic looked at it and his mechanic wanted to take it for a ride. I'm like, I'm going to ride with you. But, yeah, you can take it for a ride. So we took it for a ride and he came back and all checked out. Car was clean and good. But I didn't hear anything back from him. But in the in the midst of this conversation, um, you know, he, uh, he, they're like, oh, um, you know, when when if we want to look at it again, uh, when could we come back and look at it? And I said, uh, well, you know, I have college. I go to college. They're like, oh, when are you in class this week? And I said, oh, well, you know, I'll be in class um, on such and such a day at such and such a time. And they're like, oh, OK, OK. Well, either they followed me or they looked for the car uh, while I was in class and stole it stole it from the parking lot of the college campus. Now, if they were going to steal it, why did they wait for me to put the ad in CarMax? Why not just go to the freaking parking lot and steal it? I don't I don't understand, but anyway, one of my proudest I'm achievements. Sure in the miserable annals of the earth, you will be duly enshrined. Yes, thank you. Okay. Pierre Cardin has passed away, 98 years old. You know, if, if you came up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you definitely knew Pierre Cardin, French fashion giant, 70-year-plus career. Um, they credit him as, uh, as ushering in what they're calling the post-war golden age of couture with his modern style. But truly, everybody had something from Pierre Cardin back in the day. And uh, he has passed away. So why am I mentioning it now? Because one of my thing, one of the things that I'm very interested in is is style. I like style. I like fashion. I'm always interested in that kind of thing. And you know, nowadays, what I see more is collaborations between different people. You know, oh, Adidas is doing a collab with these three things, and they're coming out with thing. Fashion is really a different industry than it used to be, and it's much more of an anything goes. I remember being a kid and if you didn't, if you weren't wearing the right brand of jeans or something like that, like you could be ostracized by your fellow, fellow people. And, uh, and it doesn't seem like that today. Now everybody's free to have their own style and create their own look and their own brand. And I, I love that. I think that's very, very cool. Um, Slugor in the chat says, if I've learned anything from Animal Kingdom, you need to steal a vehicle in order to do crimes. Why mine, though? Why wait for me to put the ad in it? Why not just go to the parking lot? It's really dumb. He's eating the dirt. All right. <laughs> I, have two, I, I have two different articles. Now, again, they're on Fox News. Mm. So take it for what it's worth. But two articles basically saying the same exact thing today. This is our coronavirus check-in time. Russia is admitting that the coronavirus death toll is three times higher than reported. New figures show that more than 186,000 Russians have died from the virus. And what's this here? Wuhan coronavirus infections may be 10 times higher than reported. Are you seeing a pattern here? One of the things that we're really good at as people is looking at and finding patterns. But this is something that I've been saying since the beginning. Now, I was not doing this show here. You were not members of the Benjamin Nation back when I was talking about this, but I've told enough people personally, maybe off the air, uh, that all of these death tolls were misreported from uh, China for sure, and, and I have sus long suspected Russia was along this. So, so here's what Russia has to say too, and by the way, I was right about this. 
Here's why I won't do two shows a night anymore. Exactly. Um, New figures show that more than 186,000 Russians have died from the virus, up from the 55,265 that they were officially reporting. This means that Russia has the third highest number of fatalities ahead of India and sitting behind uh, the U.S. and Brazil. Uh, Wuhan, on the other hand, came back and said that uh, of the 11 million people living in the city, they found that 4.43% had antibodies for the virus. That percentage account amounts to nearly 500,000 people who had contracted the virus uh, and about 50,000. Well, there's a CDC study that involves sampling more than 34,000 people in Wuhan and six nearby provinces, and uh, it says that outside of Wuhan, the study found prevalence of antibodies was much lower, 0.44%. What this should tell you is that the numbers that are being reported over there are not right. But what do you think about our numbers here in the United States? Do you think that you can trust the numbers that we're getting? I don't think any of the numbers that are being reported anywhere are correct. I don't think the numbers you see on the news are correct. I don't think that uh, the numbers that uh, you read even in the, the independent local things are correct. I don't think any of the numbers that we're seeing are correct. And you know what? I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think we will ever know how many people were actually infected. I don't think we'll ever know how many died. And here's the thing about deaths that you need to pay attention to, too, when you hear these numbers, okay? Oh, and I forgot my little, forgot my little, there it is. Hi, I'm Dan Benjamin. How are you today? You know what else? Be sure to like and subscribe. That's right. It really helps the channel. But in all seriousness, I'm going to run that guy again. Yeah, I can go back here. Can I do this? And then I can do that. There it is. Like and subscribe and hit the bell. Makes a difference. If you want me to keep doing this show, in fact... Then I would tell you, you need to like and subscribe because that tells, it's not for me. This is not a, va listen, this is not a vanity thing. I don't care. It helps the show grow. It helps the channel grow. If you click that little button, this one, then what's going to happen is you're, you're telling YouTube that you watch. You're saying to YouTube, I watch this show. And YouTube is going to say, oh, a lot of people are clicking this thing. Maybe we need to promote it a little bit. Maybe we need to share it with some other people. More people find it. The show grows. I keep doing it. More people find it. The show grows. Keep doing it. Got it? That's what I'm asking you for. Do me that solid. I need your help. Okay. So back to the numbers. I don't think that the numbers that we're getting are accurate. And here's the thing. So, for example, if, if somebody is already very, very sick, and then they contract COVID and die from it, they might have died anyway, might have taken them longer to die. But should that death be attributed to COVID? Is it because of COVID if they were going to die anyway soon? I think the numbers that we're getting would say yes. I'm not saying yes or no. There's, I'm not even, uh, I don't have no opinion on this. I'm just asking the question, okay? Should those, should that person be, if, if there was somebody who was horribly sick in the hospital or, or near death and going to the hospital, then they contracted COVID and died. Is that a count as a COVID death if they were going to die already? I think the numbers would say yes. Um, if somebody uh, was in perfect health and got COVID and died from COVID related illness, well, I would say that that's definitely being counted too. But there are a lot that aren't being counted. There are a lot of people who get sick and never get a test. 
A lot of people who are who, who have the symptoms don't know if they have it or not and just stay home or not and, and never know if they had it. What about those people? Uh, what about bad results coming in false positives, false negatives? We will never know is what I'm trying to say. We will never know. The numbers are not accurate and they'll never be accurate and we will never know and all we'll ever, ever have will be estimates. That's it. <laughs> there's some. <laughs> there's someone in the chat named Ben Danjamin. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Uh, ben Danjamin says, if you look at the reported excess death numbers, you get a lot clo closer. In uh, oh, that's Jared saying that. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think you're right. But we can get close, but we can never really know. Ben Danjamin says Bell was key to getting a heads up. Uh, the live show was starting. See, you've got to ring the bell. Got to ring the bell. Uh, and Slugor says, whether the numbers are accurate or not, I think what matters more is if the numbers are incorrectly reported on purpose. Y you're, you're making my point for me, and this is what I was leading up to. Thank you for, for doing that. I completely agree. And that's the thing is, are the numbers wrong because the numbers are wrong? We don't have complete data. Or are they wrong, whether they're high or low, on purpose? And that was my point of showing both Russia and Wuhan numbers those are being reported wrong on purpose. I, I, you don't even need to research this, okay? I mean, uh, zero, you just, Brian. you don't. We know that those numbers are being reported incorrectly on purpose. They are. They are. Are our numbers in the United States being reported wrong on purpose? I would like to think not. I hope not. I don't know. I don't know. But it, it, it's, it's possible, isn't it? And that's not good either. Uh, but yeah, why would they being reported wrong on purpose? That is another question that I don't have an answer to. Um, there's been a lot of talk about whether masks work or whether masks don't work. And this isn't even my topic for today. This isn't even my topic. But I would like to suggest that what I have heard, and I, I, I reached out to my friend at the CDC, and I asked them this, and they said that absolutely uh, asymptomatic spreaders are real, and they are spreading it, and that is the cause of the current pandemic. That's what the C person, my person at the CDC told me. Okay. But then these studies have come out saying, mm, maybe not. Maybe the... Uh, Maybe the asymptomatic people or pre-symptomatic people aren't able to spread it at all. I've heard that too. I've heard that too. And the answer that I have is, I, I mean, how I'm not a scientist. I don't know. But it seems like a lot of people don't really know. Now, if it turns out that asymptomatic spreaders are not real, that if you're asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, that you're not spreading it, if that's the case, and I don't know, why then are we told everyone should wear a mask? Well, the answer is simple. The answer is incredibly simple. Because if not, if you were told that you should only wear a mask when you have symptoms, right? You're going to downplay your own symptoms or you're going to ignore your symptoms or you're going to deny your symptoms. Oh, yeah, I just I just had like a cough, but like, dude, it... it it's cedar fever here in, in Austin. Cedar fever. Everyone has a cough. Everyone's congested. Everyone's sniffing. Everyone has a headache. This is just called December and January in Austin. Like, I'm not sick, but you might be. 
if it's left up to you, human, as to whether or not you should wear a mask, I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be no most of the time. I'm fine. I feel fine. feel good. Just a cough. This is a cough. Uh, so that's what they have to do is they have to say everybody has to wear one. But people still don't wear one. I know many people, and a couple of people in particular, who over the Christmas holiday went and spent time with their families and their friends. Maybe they wore a mask, but they took them off when they ate. I'm pretty sure they weren't social distancing sitting outside with their family when they ate. So maybe they've been exposed, or maybe they were a carrier, and then they've exposed their family. Oh, well, you know, everybody here is pretty much isolating. But what about your younger sister who's 19 and maybe went to the domain and went to a couple bars on Rock Rose just at one time? She feels fine, though. We can't wear a mask while we eat. Think about it. Okay. Now, uh, on to my uh, actual topic. Um, Oh, and Slugor says, when was the last time you coughed in public and didn't feel the need to hide it? Yeah, exactly. Yawning is another thing people do. Side topic, but what's up with people not covering up when they yawn? It's Is this just me? Where did manners go? When you yawn, you, you go like this. You cover up when you yawn. What is that? What is that? Everyone is doing this. I look. Everyone does this yawn. I'm not even. I, maybe I'm more aware of it because of the pandemic now. But it's always been like a pet peeve of mine. But what is with the yawning without covering up? Who does that? What is that? That's not okay. Do you do that? Do you do that? All right. Now here's my topic, and I've got about eight minutes to talk about it. There's an article that came out. By someone named uh, Sarah Marie. What's your name, dude? Uh, five years of Spec FM. Five years of Spec FM, a podcast network post mortem. All right. Now, for those of you who are maybe new to the Benjamin Nation, uh, you may not know that back in 2006, I started podcasting. I had a show where I did interviews called Hive Logic Radio. And then in about 2008, I had been doing a couple other shows and I decided to go full time with 5x5 and uh, built that into a multi-million dollar business, uh, making more than a million dollars a year for a while there at the heyday. And, uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then maybe in 2013, 14 time period, I, st- I started telling people, don't start a podcast network. It's not necessary. I had started 5x5 reluctantly, not as a network, but just as a time saver for me because I was lazy. Because every time I had to spin up a new show, I had to go and make a brand new website for it and set up RSS feeds for it and all of that. And I said, this is a big pain in the neck. I don't want to have to keep doing this. So you know what? I'll build a system since there wasn't any software back in 2007 and 8 when I was starting this. There wasn't any software to host your podcasts, really. Uh, and there was kind of, I think Libsyn was around. But I wanted a custom website that looked and worked a certain way, had URLs that worked a certain way. And uh, I reluctantly built a platform that just made it really easy for me to host shows and launch shows. And that's the only reason I built a network. It wasn't because I said, I'm going to build a podcast network with tons of, no. I was just doing shows and was too lazy to make a separate website every time I wanted to launch one. 
And so I built a system to do it. And in the process uh, of doing that, um, a network was formed. But people used to come to me and they would look at 5x5. And you have to remember, there was a long time where 5x5 was like the the thing. It was like the big network in the world that everybody knew about. And I think other podcast networks came up as well. And the idea was that in theory, if you had a podcast network, then all the content that you make is in one place. Sure. But then you can cross promote. You can have the shows interconnected. You can have hosts jumping around from one show to another. And the idea being, well, I like these two shows from five by five. I'm going to like everything that, that the guys from five by five do. And that worked for a little while, but then it became just make a good show and do a good show. It doesn't matter whether it's part of a network or not. It turned out that the veil of the network was relatively thin and that that kind of cross promotion uh, didn't really always work and that just getting your show on a network didn't necessarily help it or make it any better. And in fact, a lot of the promise of the network was also associated with making money. That if you're part of a network, then in theory, you're going to make money with your show because, well, the other shows on the network are making money and they can sell for you. So you had a place to host your show. You had a, a association type thing going on and you had a potential ad revenue stream. But in reality, none of those things really mattered. We had tons of shows on 5 by 5 that didn't make very much money because not because they weren't great shows, it just didn't have a big audience. So being part of 5 by 5 or any podcast network was not a guarantee of making money or having a successful show. It might have been an inroad, but once Serial hit, your podcast just had to be good and it, the network didn't matter. And so I advised people for a long, long, long time, starting in about 2012, 2013, don't do a podcast network. You don't need to. Just do a show and make the show really good. And don't do two shows. Make one show really, really good. And build that one show up and just make it awesome. Now, if you're doing shows that are really different, like for example, I'm working on the new UFO show. Well, could I just talk about UFO stuff here and interview UFO people here? Yeah, but I want this show to be different. This is Dan starting his day talking about the news and the other stuff that's on his mind. And if that's entertaining to you, tune in and uh, like and subscribe. Okay, but that show is very different and it's going to have a completely different audience. It's probably, well, I think there'll be overlap, but it, it's going to be a specific kind of a show talking about UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, water fluoridation, you know, and, and because this stuff is fascinating to me and I very much want to believe, but I'm a skeptic. So I take this stuff seriously and I want to talk about it. Uh, but Maybe I just, uh, I, I, I'm not sure. So that's what that show is going to be. I'm going to be doing interviews and call-ins and things like that. Okay. Very different from my other show, Evening Read, where I'm just going to be basically reading books to help people chill out, maybe fall asleep, uh, be entertained while they're driving, whatever. I'm not going to do that on this show. I'm not going to do either of those things on this show. So it's separate. It makes sense to have a different show, I think. But if your show can be a little bit broader, so like I wouldn't do a show about like Ruby on Rails development and another show about Python. That's dumb. Just do one development, software development show and talk about both. You'll get a much bigger audience, much better audience. Anyway, I, I digress. Podcast networks, I recommended strongly against them. The model doesn't really work. Now, a creative studio where you form a company, an entity, 
to creatively produce content that is related, like what I just described. Maybe I have a morning news show. Maybe I have a UFO show. Maybe I have a show about that. And, and being that I am a creator of those shows, and maybe I have a team of people that work with me to create shows, calling it a production studio, well, that makes sense. But a podcast network, that's dumb. And I've been saying it's dumb for a long time, since 2013, 2012. And I just had one because I had one. I wouldn't make one today. So uh, Sarah Marie uh, says, uh, talking about uh, Spec FM, they're, they're shutting it down. So she says, from the years 2015 to 2020, I ran the podcast network Spec Network, Inc., along my co- alongside my co-founders, Brian Levin, John Cuttrell, and Brian Jackson. Name, In December 2020, that network closed. This is a retrospective of my experience as a producer running that network of 12 podcasts for the last five years. At our heyday, 5x5 had 30-some podcasts going at once. And if you were to look at our retired broadcasts, we did a lot more than that over the years, always experimenting to see what's going to work, starting a show, running with it for six months or a year, seeing if it's going to last, seeing if it makes money. The thing is, with the exception of this show right here, which I would love to make money, uh, and by the way, the more of you who watch it, the closer I can get to maybe monetizing it. But thank you for doing that. Uh, but I do this one because it's fun and I'm interested in it, but I also need to make money. If I'm taking, you know, a couple hours out of my day to do this show, which I do, including prep and post production and doing the show itself, uh, it's hard to justify doing that if it's not making any money, because if I did something else, I would be making money. So I'm losing money every time I do this show until it starts making money. Uh, so that's just kind of the philosophy and the way you have to start things these days. But with Spec FM now, no offense, no, no offense. Hold on. Do I have my, um, I don't, I don't have it. That's a different sound effect. I'll have to find it. Uh, but so what? no offense to Spec FM. I, I've never heard of Spec FM. Uh, I never heard of it. Uh, that doesn't matter it seems like it was successful. Uh, she tells the whole story of how they started it and what they did and what their sponsorship model was. And it started with a, uh, a, a podcast called, um, developer T how they brought those people into their network and all of this other stuff. And they talk about how their hosts would get 70% of the revenue from sponsors and the rest would be split across producers and operational costs. It seems like a, a fair model. Um, they quit their day, the, the lady quit her day job and she says, by the end of 2017, our little side project had made over $500,000 in revenue split between four shows and one blog. Not bad. But then in 2018, things started slowing down. Now here's the thing. Um, for most people, most people podcasting is a hobby. I'm one of the few people that's been able to make a living off of this. Like I said, I I've made a hundred percent of my living off of this since 2008, uh, it's always funny whenever I back in the days when people could gather together, I would go to um, to like a um, podcaster meetup or a conference or something like that. And they would say, how many podcasters in the audience? And, you know, the whole the whole audience would raise their hand. How many people are making money from podcasting? You know, about a third of the audience would raise their hand. How many people make 100 percent of their living from podcasting? And I'd raise my hand and I'd be the only one in there. It's hard. It's hard to do that. Uh, it's very hard to do that. And I can I would think that right now it's damn near impossible uh, to make something like that your full time job. It would be very, very, very challenging to do it. Uh, so then she continues in 2018 spec made a little over 290,000 in revenue split between seven shows. And then eventually 
They realized that it wasn't working. It was too hard to get sponsors. They wanted to get Patreon. But listen, if you're trying to start a Patreon for this in 2018, it's already too late. Hell, I'll tell you what. I had a Patreon that was making three or $4,000 a month off some of the shows that I was doing uh, just to support the stuff that I was doing again in its heyday. But that was before everybody had a podcast. And now it's impossible. Uh, 2019, $195,000 in revenue split between nine shows. And then 2020 hit and it was too much and they had to shut down. 2020, they'd only done $145,000 in revenue. Now you might be thinking, well, $145,000 in revenue sounds great. I'd like to make $145,000 in revenue. But that was split across nine shows. And um, she was trying to make a full-time living doing this. Now she had listened to me she might have been able to build up one or two shows that were really, really amazing, that were making all of her money. But I'll tell you what, putting all your eggs in one basket and quitting your job and doing it full time, that is a risk. And in podcasting, we are still trying to figure stuff out. It's a miracle, and I'm thankful every day that I still get to do this for a living. It's absolutely amazing. And at Fireside.fm, uh, the podcast hosting platform that I've made uh, the is um, – is is going strong because you know I spend so much amount of my time trying to build product and I've got great people that help me do it and making something awesome for all of these people who do their podcasts. Uh, I just think it is a really bad idea to try and do a network. And this is the weird thing people always come into. I'm going to do 20 shows. I'm going to do a show about this. I'm going to do a show about this. I'm going to do a show about this. And they're all. And guess what? All of those shows are going to get about 500 downloads per episode. But if you had taken all of your energy and harnessed it and captured it and focused on one show or a couple shows that were really close to the things that you're interested in, you might have done better. And that's my advice going into 2021. If you really, really want to do something, narrow your focus. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do is narrow my focus. And I'm trying to narrow it on things that are genuinely interesting to me because I've found that if I start a show because I think it's going to be profitable or because I think it's what the audience wants or because I think it's what uh, somebody is is genuinely interested in, but it's not in close to my heart, I wind up getting bored and I wind up not putting my all into it. So everything that I'm doing going forward new not maintaining, but new stuff is stuff that I'm genuinely passionate about. I love coming here and I love doing this show. It makes me very happy to do it. Although the audience is fairly small, I'm hoping that will change. If you all like, subscribe, share it, etc., review it on iTunes if you're listening to the podcast, review it on, on, uh, on Spotify, all of those things help. Um, so I, what I'm trying to say is that I appreciate you. And... Is why I that's won't do two shows tonight anymore. Actually, I do I more. I've done I two do. already today. But that's all I've got for you today. Uh, but I love helping y'all, and I would like to get more feedback from you. I'd like to get more questions from you. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Uh, hit me up there. Ask me any questions that are on your mind. Submit any thoughts or concerns. I can literally solve any problem that you have. You just need to ask it, and I'll tell you how to solve it. And you can do that in direct message uh, on Twitter. That's the best way to do it. Or email me, Dan at 5x5.tv. Uh, but that is about all that I have for you guys today. I hope that uh, you continue to have a great week. And um, I'll be here tomorrow, regular time, which is 10 Central and 11 Eastern. And you can figure out the West Coast. Have a good one. Take care, and I'll see you tomorrow.